invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans. That's where we'll camp out today, Romans chapter 11. So this is our third week talking about how we learn to discern the voice of the Lord. When the Lord speaks to us, how can we tell that it's Him? We've all agreed that for every single one of us, there's just thousands of voices that are running around in our head. There are all these things that are influencing us all the time. This morning, you were influenced by your Facebook page. You were influenced by your morning news. You were influenced by the voice of your mom or your dad, or maybe your husband or your wife. Maybe your children influenced you this morning. Maybe the music that you were listening to on the way here influenced you. And my prayer is that the majority of those influences are pushing you towards the Lord. But if you're like me, there are plenty of influences out there that are not pushing us towards the Lord. They're pushing us to be more like the world, to enjoy the things the world enjoys, to find satisfaction in those things, to find purpose in ourselves or our accomplishments, or our finances, or our achievements, whatever else it is. We're constantly being influenced in different directions. And of all those voices in our head, listen to your pastor. Only one of them is the Holy Spirit. Only one. And that's if you're a follower of Jesus. That's only if you have known the Lord Jesus, your sins have been forgiven, you've submitted him, to Him as the Lord of your life, and you're a brand new creation. Then God Himself comes to live in us. It's still it's just an amazing thought to me that God Himself would come to live in us in the form of the Holy Spirit, and He speaks to us. He wants us to know what He's saying so that we can follow Him, we can obey Him, we can live the best possible life He created you and I to live, and he wants to speak that to us. And we've talked about in, in the example of Samuel. Do you remember a couple weeks ago that even as a young man, God was speaking to him before he even realized it was the voice of the Lord. And God was so gracious to go to all these extraordinary links to make sure that Samuel knew it was him and that God had a purpose for his life. It is the exact same thing for us. God is speaking to us long before we recognize it's his voice. And he will do whatever it takes to get our attention and to let us know, I'm talking to you, I have a purpose for you, I love you, I have things for you, I want to guide you. He is out to speak to us. And the issue is just learning how to turn down those other 999 voices and exalt the one and magnify the one that is the one who's going to lead us into all that God has for us in the kingdom. So you remember last week we talked about if we're going to be serious about this, if we're going to allow the Lord to continue to teach us how to distinguish His voice, we have to place the written Word of God, the 66 books of the Bible, at the forefront of learning how to distinguish His voice. We need the written Word to be able to help correct us when one of those voices starts to lead us in a direction and we think it's the Holy Spirit. There'll be plenty of times that we'll be wrong. We'll get caught up in ourself, our pride. We need the Word to correct us. And here's why the Word has to stay central. Do you remember this? The exact God who is indwelling you right now in the form of the Holy Spirit, He is the one who breathed into that blue Bible that you have in your hand right now. He is the one that over hundreds of years and a thousand years, He moved in different people's hearts to communicate exactly his heart, his mind, and his will for his people and make sure it was written down in written form so it could be passed on. 
Not only that, but that same Holy Spirit made sure that over all these hundreds of years and thousands of years that the Word of God has been around, that it would be faithfully transmitted to you and me from the time Isaiah heard it or Moses heard it or David heard it until the time I hold it right here in my hand. The Holy Spirit of God made this happen. And if he went through all that trouble, listen to your pastor, if he went through all that trouble to make sure we had this accurately and for us to follow, he would not be speaking to your heart in a way that contradicts that. He's never going to do that. So if you hear in your heart, man, I think the Holy Spirit spoke to me today. I should go out and kill my brother. That was not the Holy Spirit. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. That might have been a spirit. It wasn't the Holy Spirit, though. The Word of God is the exact voice of the Holy Spirit. He is speaking those things into us. This gives us guidelines with which we can test our hearts and minds. And today we're going to build on that a little bit because it is so important for us to learn how to test and approve God's will and His voice in our life. So we're in Romans chapter 11. Are you there? Paul is writing this letter to the believers in the city of Rome, and he actually had never met them yet. He had aspirations of traveling to Rome to meet the believers there. He actually would end up in Rome on, on trial for his life, and he'd die in Rome. But he wanted to visit them in other ways, but he ends up in prison instead. So he writes this letter to the Romans, and he wants to encourage their faith and let them know, I'm coming, I can't wait to have fellowship with you. We don't exactly know how Paul ran across these people, but probably from some of his traveling companions that he was traveling around with in his different journeys. He, he, we know he met Priscilla and Aquila at least. They were from Rome. Probably some other believers that told him about the community of faith there. And now he's writing to them to encourage them a little bit. Now when we get to chapter 11, Paul breaks in to this worship time that the Lord just lays on his heart in the letter. And if you look in your Bible, in mine, when you get to Romans 11, down to verse 33, my part of the scripture is offset. Does yours have that? It's a little offset. What you need to know is that when you see that in the Bible, that means that what is being written there, the person who wrote it is quoting something. He, they're quoting something. So the writers of this translation wants to make sure when you get to this point in Romans 11 that you know Paul's quoting something. Now, most of the time when you see that, it's because they're quoting the Old Testament or they're quoting another scripture. But Paul's actually not doing this. He's quoting a hymn that we don't have anywhere else in the Bible except for right here in Romans 11. And it appears to be this hymn that had grown up in the early church to help them understand more who God the Father was, who Christ was, what he was like, so they could worship in appropriate ways. They could transmit good theology out to each other. Remember, this is before they had a New Testament in their back pocket where they could pull out and really learn things about the Lord. So they taught each other these songs in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? And fortunately, the Holy Spirit made sure that this particular song gets written down so 2,000 years you, later, you and I can see this. It's incredible to me. But let's look at this worship that Paul breaks into here because it's going to tell us some things about the Lord, but I think it's going to set the table for us as we continue to learn together how to discern God's voice. Down to verse 33 of Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. 
and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? So watch what this hymn is doing. It's trying to take the person from a focus on themselves and put their focus on the Lord. And not just that, he's trying to take our focus on our resources, our ability, our accomplishments, our thinking, and draw a contrast with God's abilities, God's accomplishments, and God's thinkings. So his thoughts are not like ours. His judgments are not like mine. He makes much better calls than you and I do about life. He sees everything completely beginning to end. He knows the full story. So when he makes a decision, it is the right decision. And we have this chance to reorient ourselves to that idea. Why do we need to hear the voice of the Lord regularly? Because his judgment of your life and your world is much better than yours. It's just much better. So he says, listen, you'll never search out his ways. You'll never understand it fully. But watch what he says here. Back to verse 34. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Now, I want you to take your hand. I want you to keep your place in Romans 11. And I want you to flip to the right. Just a couple pages to 1 Corinthians, the very next book. Because Paul is actually going to use a very similar saying in 1 Corinthians when he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And I think it will help us Fill in what Paul's talking about here about understanding God's mind and his judgment. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, down to verse 14. He's now teaching these Corinthian believers about the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. That was you and me. Before the Holy Spirit came to live in us, the things of God seemed foolish to us. It seemed ridiculous to give our money to the church. It seemed ridiculous to pray. It seemed ridiculous to live in a way that was against our lifestyle. But once the Holy Spirit came, things changed for us. Verse 15, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for who is known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. Right? Paul says it again. But look at what he tacks on there. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Underline have in that verse. It doesn't say you got to go obtain it. It doesn't say you have to go find it. It says that you have it. Why do you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, have the mind of Christ right now in this moment? Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God, who is Christ, who is God the Father, who is all one, one God, one shared thought, that he indwells me right now, which means I have the mind of Christ right now. Well, Pastor Matt, I'm not actually sure what the mind of Christ is. All that means is that you have to press in and distinguish what God is already saying to you from everything else that is out there. Your feelings, your, your history, your experience, whatever else it is, we have to learn how to distinguish out the mind of Christ that we already have in our heart and learn to listen to that and obey that. So encouraging. We have a God whose ways and judgments are infinite, but he makes sure that he reveals to us everything we need to understand about his character and what he's doing so that we can join him in his work. He's so good to us. Man, he's so good to us. 
Now back to Romans 11. Are you there? Flip back for me. Good thing I told you to hold your place, huh? Romans 11, pick back up in verse 35. Who is ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Don't you love this? Paul's like, listen, no one is ever given to God that God should repay him. There's not one thing a human being has ever given to God that puts God in their debt. It's never happened. Whatever you've ever paid into a church or a ministry, it does not indebt God to you at all. Whatever you have done to serve him, however many poor people you've ministered to, how many times you've read your Bible, how much you pray, how many worship services you've come to, listen to me, you have never put God in your debt. When I was growing up in the church, I genuinely had that idea in my thought. I literally thought the reason that you read your Bible and the reason you pray is so that God would reward you for it. Like, you take your your spiritual quarter and you put it in the God gumball machine and you turn the handle and he's got to give you your gumball. That's genuinely what I thought. That is so wrong. That is so wrong. Not only that, I know it's wrong, but you know it sneaks into my quiet time almost every day. That somehow I get in the Word and I'm like, boy, Lord, today's going to go good. You know why? Because I spent time with you this morning. I mean, how could it go bad? I mean, Lord, clearly... I cut that top check this month. Boy, the car's going to be fine this month. And you know what we, we kind of imply from the Lord? God, man, you owe me. I mean, you owe me. God does owe us something. You know what God owes us? He owes us eternity and hell separated from him. Like, that's what God owes us. Because that's what we earned. We earned sin. We earned death. We earned separation from him. What he gave us was grace and mercy and love. And on top of that, things like a car that starts and hot water in my shower this morning, praise God, and oatmeal on my counter. I mean, he also goes above and beyond too. But listen, God doesn't owe us. We, we, we got to let that go. We got to pass on. Now, he's just been worshiping. He's just been reorienting them to the Lord and off of themselves. Now listen to where he takes them because I think these are going to be great guardrail or guardrails for us. Uh, you know what a guardrail is? Like you go down 20 or you go down 95, they have these guardrails. I praise God for guardrails. In South Carolina, I didn't really appreciate how great guardrails are. But then I went uh, to General Assembly in Colorado, in Denver. And uh, one of the things that we got to do while we were in Denver is we had this great idea. Let's go to Pikes Peak. We decided, let's go to Pikes Peak. And uh, for someone who's terrified of hikes, I'm still not sure exactly why we did that, but we decided to do that. And uh, if you don't know what Pikes Peak is, it's this huge rock formation that's 14,000 feet high above sea level. And there are multiple ways to get to the top of Pikes Peak, like people who walk up it, which is crazy. There were people who were bicycling up it. Up it! While we're trying to get up it, they're going up at a bike. And then they were riding down. I was like, okay. But they also had this train at the bottom that you can take all the way up. But we decided to drive. We had a rental car. We had insurance on the car. We're like, let's do this. Which I can't remember if, if you drove up or down. I feel like, I, did I do both? I really, I don't remember that. I do remember I drove one part. But here's what I do remember. Uh, there were parts of it. It's only a two-lane highway. 
And when I'm driving along, nine times out of ten in South Carolina, when I'm driving and I look, I can see the road. I can see the shoulder. I can see everything else. When I was driving up Pikes Peak, I looked out the window, and I didn't see road. I didn't see shoulder. I saw clouds. I saw blue sky. I saw other mountains over in the distance and occasionally the top of a tree. It was really unnerving, which means that next to that road, there's just a drop. I don't know who thought that was a great idea, but th that's how they do it in Colorado. Now, there were a couple times along that road that had guardrails, but there were not nearly as many as you would think for a 14,000-foot cliff. I would just tell you that. There were not all that many guardrails. And it really didn't sink into me until we started to come down. Because when you start to come down, you basically have to put it in neutral so it doesn't mess up your gears. And not just that, you really, they have all these cool signs. These are really encouraging signs. It says things like this. Please don't ride your brakes the whole time. Your brakes could fail. Oh, that's so great to know. I wish you'd have posted that on the way up, not the way down. I mean, the way up is where you post those signs. They actually make you stop halfway down, on the way down, and they take these little laser thermometers. Have you seen this? You pull the little laser gun, it tests. They laser your brakes to make sure they're not too hot. And if they're too hot, they make you stay there until they're not hot anymore. So your brakes don't fail. That was not encouraging. Because the guy's doing, you know, he's doing 100 cars at a time, and we pull up, and he's like, yeah, you're good. It's like, whoa, okay. Can I see that? Can I, I mean, what's the, what's the standard temperature for hot brakes? Like, how does that, what, where's the dangers on there? He's like, no, no, you're good. It's like, oh, here we go. So listen, the beautiful thing about guardrails is this. Every once in a while, you just make a mistake. You just make a mistake. And you know why governments and states put guardrails on the side of roads? They cover them in the places where people make the most mistakes. Does that make sense? The Word of God is an incredible guardrail for us when it comes to understanding the voice of the Lord. Because I'll, I'll just be honest with you, sooner or later you're going to make a mistake about this. We're human. We don't always get it right. God wants to speak to us, but sometimes we blow it. So we need to make sure that we have built these guardrails into our life so that we stay in the middle of the road when it comes to our walk with the Lord. The Word of God is the best guardrail you'll ever have. We talked about that last week. But I believe this passage shows us some other guardrails that are going to help us too. You follow me so far? So go back to Romans 12, because I want you to listen to what Paul says to these Roman believers. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This, meaning this act, is your true and proper worship. In the original language, it doesn't say true and proper. It says this is your reasonable worship, meaning it's reasonable for me to ask you to worship in this way because of all that God's done for you. By the way, it ties right back into the end of chapter 11, right? He's just laid out all these amazing things that God has done, and he says it's reasonable for me to ask you to offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, we don't deal with a lot of sacrifices in modern times, so I want us to kind of set our modernity aside a little bit. And let's put ourselves in the mindset of the very first people who heard this letter read or who read this letter. When Paul talks about a sacrifice, they knew sacrifices. 
If you lived and you grew up in Rome, whether you're a believer or not, you understood what sacrifices were. Some of these Roman believers had been Jews first. They had been grown up in the Old Testament religious system. They knew the Old Testament, so they were familiar with sacrifices, right? They knew about bringing the lambs and the priests and all those kind of things. Some of these believers in Rome were not Jewish. They had been saved out of the Roman community, out of paganism, out of worshiping multiple idols and multiple gods where you did things to try to make the God happy so that he would bless your life and do things for you. And this is what both of them, whether they grew up in the Jewish faith or whether they grew up in paganism, they both understood sacrifices the same way. You figure out what the God wants, you bring it to the God, and you light it on fire. Whether it's apples or a lamb or a human, unfortunately, from time to time, whether it's blood or wine or wheat, you bring it to the God, you lay it down on their altar, and you light it on fire. That's what a sacrifice is. But Paul is not challenging them to be once and for all sacrifices. What does he say they should be? They should be living sacrifices, which to them makes absolutely no sense. Sacrifices are supposed to die. That's what you do with a sacrifice. But Paul says, no, no, no. You be a living sacrifice. God wants your submission to his plan, his ways, and his word over and over and over again. And so when I crawl up on the spiritual altar and God says, I want that, I give it to him, and then I crawl down, and then he says, I want that too, and I crawl right back on the altar again and say, I'm willing to die. Whatever it takes, I'll submit to him. We're called to be living sacrifices, and that should be in our physical body. Listen to your pastor. Your physical body matters to your walk with Jesus. It matters to your walk with Jesus. One of the great heresies in the early church was this. Well, I have the Holy Spirit in me. I'm all about spiritual things. I can do whatever I want to in the body because the body's going to go away one day. One day I'm going to die. My body is going to rot. My spirit's going to be connected to the Holy Spirit. My body doesn't matter. And do you know what they fought against over and over again in the early church? No, that's not true. Your body matters. There's something about using our body for holiness that advances our spiritual walk with the Lord. And I would say this too. This is something I did not learn until I was too old. I wish someone would have talked to me about this as I was growing up as a young man. The way that you use your body, whether you honor the Lord or not, matters, and it can greatly hinder your walk with the Lord. So, when we become obsessed with sports and we dedicate our entire life to making sure our body looks exactly right and we give it completely to baseball or football or whatever else it is, we have no room for God in our life, even though we're saying, well, I'm taking care of my body. If taking care of your body is the obsession of your life and it controls you, then it's sinful and it's broken. Isn't that crazy? You know, I don't even have to go into things like, like the low-hanging fruit is when I allow alcohol to control my body in a way that God hasn't called me to do that. When drunkenness becomes a regular part of my life, listen, alcohol should not have a control of my body. It shouldn't do it either. 
nor should nicotine. Marijuana has become legal. Listen, just because it's legal in Colorado or wherever else it is, it'll probably be legal in, North, in South Carolina one day. Is it legal? In South, it's not legal in South Carolina yet, is it? It's coming. You know why I had to ask? Because it's legal almost everywhere else. Listen, just because something is legal doesn't mean that it's okay for us to be a part of if it's going to lose control of ourself. The only thing that should control you is the Holy Spirit. And that includes fried chicken, Nutty bars from Little Debbie, oatmeal cream pies, Cold Stone Creamery, Red Bull, Konnichiwa, whatever else it is. If that has control of your life, it's just as wrong as alcohol or nicotine or whatever else it is. And listen, I'm saying that as a pastor who loves some Konnichiwa, baby. But do you know what? I have to watch what I eat at Konnichiwa. And I have to watch how many times I eat there. And I have to go walk after I do that. And I have to exercise. And I have to eat oatmeal for breakfast every single morning. That's my new thing, oatmeal. It's not great. I don't recommend it, but it definitely helps with the weight loss thing. I have to make sacrifices. Listen, anything that controls your body that's not the Holy Spirit is sinful. Listen, it's sinful. Just like sexual immorality. And listen, I know it's pervasive in our culture. It is pervasive. I know what we're seeing. What I promise you, you'll see at some point during the Super Bowl tonight. I promise you, you'll see it. What is celebrated in commercials and all that kind of stuff. I promise you what is being put forth with pornography and everything that is being shown in our shows. I know the snare it's becoming to us. And listen, we have to learn how to repent and flee that snare. I know what it does. It brings condemnation. It brings shame. Sex outside of marriage does that. It brings condemnation. It brings shame. God calls us away from that. And here's what happened. This is how good God is to us. He calls us to repent. When he calls us to repent, he gives us the power to do it. When he gives us the power to do it, he pours out his grace and his mercy, and he helps us walk away from those things. But those are incredibly difficult to break. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to repent. We need it. Self-control is not going to be enough for you. It's just not. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to keep your body pure and holy. But listen, it is critical to discerning the voice of the Lord properly. Nothing will blind you to the voice of the Lord like misusing your body. Nothing. I've said enough. You ready? Verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, Paul says, listen, don't let the world and all its ideas and all of its practices and all of its ways squeeze you into a mold so that you look like the world. But choose to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What does that mean? That means that all those influences and all those voices, it's constantly trying to shape our mind. We have to have something else come in that will transform our mind. You know what that is? How about the Word of God? Prayer, fellowship with other believers, being about serving the Lord in different ways. Those things reorient our mind to what is eternal, what is holy, what is pure, and they, re they renew our mind. And the only way to do that, we have to either increase one and decrease the other if that's going to take place. 
So we have to make choices every day. I'm going to limit the influence of the world. You're going to live in the world. There's nothing you can do about that, but you get to make a choice how much this world influences you. We make choices. I'm going to turn this off. I'm going to listen to this. I'm not going to read that book. I am going to read this book. I'm going to turn this on. I'm going to hang out with people who spur me on to love and good deeds. And what that does, the Holy Spirit starts to renew your mind. And when you have a purified body, get this, and a regularly renewed mind, it becomes significantly easier to discern when God is speaking, right? We, we make it so hard. It's not hard. It's about learning how to walk with the Lord in these things. That's not it. That's not it. Verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In other words, as you grow in your faith and God starts speaking and he starts using you, Make sure that you view yourself with sober judgment. What does that mean? That I have a genuine understanding of who I am apart from the influence of God and the Holy Spirit and the Word. No matter how I'm walking with Jesus right now, if I don't believe I could be lost in any sinful pattern in a matter of days, if I stop walking with Jesus, I'm deceiving myself. And you are too. We have to know and understand our tendency and our bend is not towards the Lord. It's towards the world, towards the enemy, towards our own selfishness. But the Holy Spirit empowers us to see ourselves rightly. And here's what it does. When we have a sober judgment of ourselves, here's what happens. It makes me get on my knees every day and say, Jesus, if you don't handle this today, I'm going to handle it. I know me, I'm going to handle it. And if you don't show me what your thoughts are, I'm going to use my thoughts and they're not enough. If you don't empower me with your resources, I'm going to lean on my resources, and they're not going to be enough, and I am going to dishonor you. I'm asking you, fill me today. Refresh me today. And number four, last but not least, verse four, for just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many, though uh, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You don't just need the Holy Spirit in the Bible. You need the community of faith. Listen, you need a church. You need a body of believers to plug into. Listen to me as sincere as I can say it. You need to get plugged in to a church, and you need to stay there. You need to stay there. Unless Jesus tells you that you should leave, or unless they start preaching something that is against the word of God or against the Lord's will, whatever it is, you need to go somewhere and you need to stay somewhere. I know it takes time to find the right place. All these different churches are different. We have a ton of really great churches in Florence. I'm not just saying that. I absolutely believe that. I know the pastors in this town. I know the ministries in this town. I know the kind of resources that they put in different things. We're focusing on so many different things in the kingdom. It's astounding to me for a city this size, the way the Lord moves in these churches. There are great churches out there. I think this is one of them. I think this is one of them. I think we try to build the kingdom of God, but this not, may not be the right church for you. If it's not, that's fine. But go find the right church for you. Go find somewhere and plug in. 
you will not, you will not, you will not consistently over a long period of time mature in your relationship with Jesus without other believers. It will not happen. You're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. And I hope you don't hear me saying you need to come here. No, you just need to find somewhere. You've got to plug in. We need each other. I'm so glad you're here. I really am. Listen, it blessed my heart. I asked Melly and her family to come and lead this morning. I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't know it was going to be like that, Melly. I'm just honest with you. It blessed my heart to hear someone praying over their families and their culture in their language and to hear their experience with the Lord that was completely different than mine. Completely different. It blessed me. We need each other. We need to be supported by each other. So I'm going to make a couple statements, then we're going home. You ready? Got your bulletin. I know you waited a long time to write some things down. That's okay. It's okay to shake things up every once in a while. Let me make a statement for you. You ready? Discerning the voice of the Lord consistently and accurately is much more about being the right kind of person than having the right kind of method. It is so much more about being the right kind of person rather than having the right kind of method. We're blessed to have so many books at our availability, so many sermons and podcasts and conferences, worship bands. I mean, we are so blessed in our culture right now. We've never had this kind of access to spiritual things. But those things, if we're not careful, will deceive us. Because here's what happens. They teach us that Christianity is just about the right techniques or learning the right steps to do this, this, and this. But I want to make sure you understand something. The right steps executed with the wrong heart will never get you to the place God's called you to be. In fact, it can deceive us because we can feel good about checking off a list. I did everything Pastor Matt told me. Our heart is what matters. And when it comes to discerning the voice of the Lord, we're trying give you some guardrails to do that but i want you to understand it's so much more about you going to the lord owning your junk repenting letting him transform you through the voice of the holy spirit staying close to the word of god becoming the right kind of person i would just challenge you to do this if, if you want to grow in this don't worry about the technique right now don't worry about the right way to do it make sure you're the right person make sure the holy spirit's getting every part of you he wants And I promise you, you'll start hearing his voice. I promise it. Techniques can come later. So I want to summarize everything I just said with just four sentences, okay? We want to test and approve what the will of God is. Because that's what Paul said. He said, listen, you offer your body as a sacrifice. You renew your mind. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. You'll have that ability. If we want to test and approve what his will is, first thing is this. Clean bodies produce powerful worship. I'm not talking about physically, although I would appreciate if you clean your body before you come here. But I'm talking about spiritually. Spiritually clean bodies remove shame and distraction and distance from our relationship with the Lord, and it makes us run to Him. When we have sin and brokenness in our life, it pushes us away from Him, doesn't it? It doesn't make us want to go in the Lord's presence. We're ashamed. We have regret. All those things. Listen, 
Jesus wants to wipe all that away. He wants to sweep that away. Clean bodies produce powerful worship. Renewed minds discern God's will accurately. When your mind is renewed day by day, minute by minute, renewed minds discern God's will accurately. Because when my mind is being repaired from all the damage of the world, it picks up on the God radio frequency a lot better. You know, I don't even know if most of y'all have radios in your car anymore. If they even install that, if that's standard anymore. But they used to have these things called radios. And they would have static where you would turn it, and it would go <laughs> until it hit something. And before you could hit those little seek and all that kind of stuff and type in exactly what you wanted, you could kind of tell like in three seconds whether or not that was country or rap or whatever else it is. So you... <laughs> And you could recognize it when you knew what you were looking for. You know what country sounds like. It would take about two seconds for you to hit it. You'd be like, oh, that's country. That's what I want. We have to do the same thing with our minds. There's all the static of the world until we get to the Holy Spirit's voice. And we go, no, I, no that's it. That's it. And the more we learn to hear it, the more we'll recognize it. It'll become that much more easier to us. Renewed minds discern God's will accurately. Number three, Christ-oriented self-awareness maintains humility. Now I want you to see how long and detailed and specific I made that statement. Christ-centered self-awareness maintains humility. We don't need more self-awareness from a worldly standpoint. Self-awareness from a worldly standpoint says focus on self. You make a plan. You have all the power and all the resources you need. You go solve your problems. That's not what I'm saying. Christ-oriented self-awareness maintains humility. When I get up every single day and I see who Christ is, there's no way I can't see who I am. I have a realistic view of who I am because I see who he is. And that develops in us humility. Why do we need humility? We talked about this last week because we're going to make mistakes when it comes to trying to hear God's voice. We have to be humble enough to say, Lord, I blew that. I want to learn again. I want to press into you again. Maybe you need to own it. Apologize to someone who knows. And number four, connection with the church creates healthy accountability. Connection with the church creates healthy accountability. I poison the well for you every Sunday morning. You didn't even realize it. One of the reasons I stand right there at the back of that door and I try to shake your hand. I don't get everybody's hand, but I, try, I work at it. The reason I try to shake your hand, I try to learn your name, and I try to call your name is this. It's a form of accountability for you. Like I, I want you to know that someone cares about you, they love you, that they're praying for you, and they want you to walk with Jesus. And if it can help you by having to come in that door on Sunday morning and shake your pastor's hand, and that's just a little form of accountability, then that's a blessing. That's a blessing. Our elders, our deacons, our staff, we love you. We care about you. We want to see you walk with Jesus, and it's hard. It is hard with everything the world's throwing at us. But listen, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you absolutely can do this. You can walk with Jesus. You can hear his voice. You can obey. It doesn't matter what you've done, what your past has been like, whether you ever grew up in church, ever knew the Bible. Listen, you can learn. You can grow. You can do this with the Holy Spirit, and we're here to help you. We're here to help you. Our praise team is going to come. They're going to lead us in a final song. And as they do that, this is a chance for us just to, to let the Holy Spirit just search us. 
Maybe he said something about the way you're using your body. Maybe he said something like, you know, uh, Bojangles is good, but five times a week, we probably need to pull back on that. Probably need to pull back on that. Maybe he said something about what you're putting into your mind. He's like, listen, that's not taking you to good places. I want you to stop watching that show, or I want you to stop listening to that podcast, or whatever else it is. Maybe he wants you to pull back in one of those things. Whatever it is, this is a chance to solidify what he's saying so that we have a chance to leave here and then obey him as we go from here. So let's stand and respond in any way he leads us.